love for you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. We're going to start at verse 17. Matthew 20, verse 17. There was, uh, in some, of you, some of you remember this movie. There was a movie um, that came out, a comedy, satirical comedy, um, back in uh, the late 80s that kind of turned into a, a, a cult classic. Just people kept watching it over and over again because the three comedians that were in it were Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Chevy Chase. The movie was called The Three Amigos. And as, as, uh, uh, as it's told, that though there was a script that with comedians at that level, um, those guys were constantly going off script, which is what make the movie so funny because it's just line after line after line and they're just playing off of each other. And uh, if you don't, if you haven't seen the movie, um, you need to watch it. But one of the, the, the setup here is that it takes place in 1916 and those three characters, Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, and Martin Short, their characters are this, uh, these actors who were part of this series where they were these, uh, these cowboys who fought for justice. They had these flashy uniforms. They were amazing at, at shooting their guns. And they would go into a town and take care of the bad guys in the town. And that would be the movie. And they had done all these movies like that. Uh, and uh, so in the, in, the, in the movie Three Amigos, these guys end up getting fired. They lose their contract and they're being kicked out of Hollywood, and they don't know what they're going to do because this is all they've done their whole lives is, is acted. And uh, this woman in Mexico has seen all these movies, only she thinks that it's not just a movie. She thinks that these men are real. So she sends a letter, and basically she thinks she's hiring them to come down and rid her town of, of this gang that's overcoming the town. These guys just think that they have a new gig and a new movie's being shot, and they're going to be famous internationally in Mexico. So they go. that's what sets up the comedy, and there's all these great lines, and, and they think they're going to make all this money because they're going way beyond Hollywood, and they're going international. And there's this one scene, maybe you remember it, there's there's a scene where there are all three of them in bed at night and they're staring up at the ceiling and they're talking about all this money they're going to make. And one of them says, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with all that money? And Steve Martin's character says, oh, I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a big car. I'm going to get a big, shiny, silver car. And I'm going to drive it all over Hollywood. And I'm going to show that, that producer, Flugelman, a, a thing or two, the guy who fired us. What about you? And it turns to Chevy Chase. And Chevy Chase stares at the ceiling. And he says, New York, Paris, a lot of champagne, parties. I'm going I'm to be a big shot for a while. What about you, Ned? Turns to Martin, uh, to Martin Short's character, who's the good guy in the whole movie. He stares up at the ceiling and he said, I'm going to start a foundation for homeless children. <laughs> and instantly they flash back at Chevy Chase and Steve Martin, who are like, uh, uh, Chevy Chase, Steve Martin is like, well, uh, I mean, yeah, that, that thought crossed my mind too. I mean, I think I had that thought. Chevy Chase is like, well, I mean, you know, after, after, you know, of course, I was going to do the foundation thing, and then I was going to get the car after, you know, after the founding. Clearly, these guys are, are embarrassed uh, by that. When you look at what John uh, and James and their mother do in the passage we're going about to read, you just go, this is embarrassing. You went with your mom 
You know, did you put your mom up to it or did, did your mom say, hey, come on, boys, I'm going to take you to Jesus and we're going to talk about what position you have in the kingdom. It's just embarrassing that they would do this. But when you read it in the context of what happens right before they go to uh, Jesus and what happens after uh, they have this conversation with Jesus, it's not just embarrassing like a scene from Three Amigos. It is sobering. In fact, it goes from being something like, oh, man, those idiots to, ooh, wow. So we read this passage this morning. We study this. I do pray that what is sobering or should be sobering for these disciples would be sobering for us. And rather than just humorously looking at, at, uh, at, our, at our brokenness in our lives, that instead we would be moved to be men who are sober in our thoughts about what Jesus' mission really is. Let's read these verses beginning at verse 17. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before Jesus, she asked him for something. And Jesus said to her, what do you want? She said to him, Say these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called to them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many." As they went out of Jericho, great crowds followed Jesus. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that it was Jesus, that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called to them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's clear here as Jesus is heading to Jerusalem that his mission and his goal, I mean, is clear. Like he, he knows and we know from reading scripture what his mission and goal is. It's clearly the cross. That is, that is, that is 
Very evident in these verses. What is also evident in these verses that is that as the disciples follow Jesus, are with him going to Jerusalem, that their mission and goal is very clear. And it's these thrones that were talked about in chapter 19. That's what they're after. Jesus is headed for a cross, and they think their focus is headed for these exalt, being exalted on a throne. And I want us to notice this morning how it is that Jesus opens their eyes to understand the suffering servant of the kingdom of God. And I want the Lord, I've been praying this for me this week, for all of us, that he would open up our eyes this morning to how it is the suffering servant who obtains for us the kingdom of God. We see, first of all, in verses 17 through 19, the servant revealed, the suffering servant revealed. This is actually the third time that Jesus had told his disciples, this is what I'm going to do. Only in this particular time, he goes into more detail. He reveals the mode of death by which, uh, mode of death, and so they understand how he's going to die. And he also explains to them that the Gentiles, that would be the Romans, that they're going to be involved, that there's going to be a trial and that the Romans are going to be involved. And this is important because it would only be the Romans who'd be allowed to crucify anyone to, to, to mete out that kind of, of justice. And here clearly, Jesus is very direct. I mean, we read this as we sit here in this moment in 2021 and we read verses 17 through 19 and we're like, how could the disciples not get this? <laughs> It's very direct what his mission is, what Jesus' mission is. It's very, very clear. And yet these disciples, why is it that they continually not get it? This is the third time. And, and clearly from what happens next, they don't get it. They don't understand that. Why is that? Well, I think one thing that's important for us to, to grasp a hold of is that as they look at the, as they looked and the Jewish people looked at the uh, the Old Testament, and they, uh, and they looked at the prophets regarding the Messiah, particularly the book of Isaiah, but the other prophets, when they looked at those uh, Old Testament passages, and they had the Old Testament at that time, when they thought of the Messiah, they thought of those passages in Isaiah and other places, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, where the Messiah is exalted. They were seeing the triumphant Messiah, the one who, who was bringing in the new heavens and the new earth. And that's how they saw it. So the passage, and those passages are there in, in, the, in the prophets. Those passages are clearly there. And they refer to Christ in his resurrection, Christ in his ascension, and Christ in his return. So that's what they would look at. Now, the suffering servant passage, Isaiah 53, and we're going to go to that in a, in a little bit. They didn't, they didn't put, it wasn't in their head that this would be part of what the, the Messiah was about. And so, I guess to cut them a little slack, that's why they didn't get it. Because in, in their minds, the Messiah was always going to be triumphant. That this mission, the kingdom of God, it was, it was always going to, to be something that just got better and better. It was always going it was, it was, it was to get rid of suffering. It was going to get rid of the injustice. And, and those things are true, but there had to be a cross. As we think about those disciples... I think it's important for some, us to realize, or maybe to ask ourselves the questions, do we sometimes forget that? It's easy for us to look at the disciples and go, man, those guys were idiots. 
You know, I wonder sometimes if that has seeped in to, to us as well. And we need to ask ourselves that question. Do I sometimes forget that the mission of the kingdom is led by a suffering servant who has called us to follow in his footsteps? And so as a result of that, or as a result of our culture, you know, for most of us in our lifetime, um, what we've experienced as Christians, and there may be even moments we've experienced a little ridicule, uh, a little someone making fun of us, and moments of being left out. In general, we haven't experienced as Christians, I certainly haven't experienced as a Christian, uh, a, a, uh, any kind of persecution to speak of. And, and generally as a Christian, I haven't experienced any kind of wholesale rejection or, of who I am. I'm, I've experienced, what I've experienced is I'm mostly respected. So while somebody might think in their head, well, yeah, I don't, you know, I'm not sure I believe what Todd believes. And, you know, maybe he's, uh, you know, whatever. He's kind of fanatical religiously. They don't say that to me, right? They don't, in most cases, I, I'm welcomed into the room. And I'm at least treated as someone who's kind of intelligent and probably a nice guy. Maybe that's been your experience as well. And what happens is we, that, that is, then that becomes what we expect out of being a follower of Jesus. That, that, you know, if I really live this Christian life out, if I really follow Jesus, I'm just going to, it's just going to get better and better. I'm looking for that throne. I'm looking for that throne. I remember years ago, maybe you all remember this too. There was a pastor here for a long time who would say uh, to us, ask us this question. You've heard me say this because it, it's left a mark on me. We say that we're followers of Jesus. What a great word. We're going to follow Jesus. We're followers of Jesus. We're following him. Where is Jesus going? <laughs> He's going to a cross. And Jesus calls us to follow. And we read this and studied this a few chapters ago. What does he say? If anyone would come after me, and he would follow me, he must take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to gain his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for me in the gospel will gain it. Suffering servant here is revealed and he's headed to the cross. And then I want us to notice in verses 20 and 28, this suffering servant, this servant explained. Again, as you read this, I, I mean, every time, Every time I read this, especially verse 20, I just, I just laugh. I just think, again, what? Like, you're their mother? Your mom? You know, again, these are grown men, right? Your mom. And again, I, I don't know. The passage doesn't tell us. Did James and John go, hey, mom, would you go talk to Jesus for us? That's embarrassing. <laughs> That's silly. Or was it James and John's mom going, come on, boys, we're going to go talk to Jesus. And they went. They're clearly there because Jesus doesn't address the mom. He addresses them. And you're thinking, well, that's, that's embarrassing. That's, that's silly. Can, you, can we really believe this? Um, we probably can. We probably can. Because I bet some of our mothers did some similar stuff to us. They didn't go to Jesus, but, you know, they went to a coach. They went to a teacher. <laughs> they tried to pave the way for us. What's even maybe more embarrassing, and I'll say this about myself, we did this ourselves for our kids, didn't we, when we probably should have not. <laughs> we probably should have just let them learn to deal with life as it came, but no, we were going to go talk to that teacher or that coach, and 
we were going to explain to them why our son was actually a much better football player than this coach really understood they were <laughs> and needed to play. That's our tendency. So while it's easy for me to stand here and for us to stand here and look at this and go, man, what in the world? Ah, maybe it's a little closer to home <laughs> than we'd like to admit of what's going on here. And again, I, just to defend the disciples a little bit, they're just responding to what we see in chapter 19, verse 28 and 29. So look back at that. Jesus, this is after, G, this is last week Barton talked about, this is after Peter says, hey, we've left everything to follow you. What will we have? <laughs> and Jesus said to them, truly I say to you in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me, will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm sure the disciples locked into that. <laughs> awesome. We're following you. You're going to sit on your glorious throne. They're thinking in Jerusalem. And so, and you just said 12 thrones. There's 12 of us. Sweet. <laughs> and so what's happening here is James and John are just wanting to reserve a good seat. <laughs> right? The seat they already have. They're thinking, okay, well, there's 12 of us, 12 thrones. We're all there. It's all good. I'm just going to make sure my seat at the table, which I already have, is the good seat. That's all. That's all I'm just doing. Just, this is what we're doing is just reserving the seats for us. And I think it's important for us not to do, be too hard on James and John in particular. Because you'll notice in verse uh, 24 that the, uh, that the other disciples were ticked off. <laughs> and they were ticked off because they're probably thinking, whoa, 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 I want those seats. Dude, you guys took your mom? What are you doing? And I don't think they were thinking, because, you know, Jesus is going to a cross. They weren't thinking that. They were thinking, because I want to reserve a good seat on this throne thing. That's what's happening. Well, what is Jesus' response to James and John? First of all, I want you to notice that he doesn't ask this question of the mom. He, like a good, <laughs> wise man, says, you know what, ma'am, you shouldn't even be here for them. Let me talk to these guys. And he talks directly to them and talks about this cup. Are you ready to receive this cup? And this cup, of course, refers to suffering, reserves to concerns the, the, the wrath of God. Now, they're not going to experience the wrath of God like Jesus is. Later on in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays to his heavenly Father and says, Lord, if you, uh, Father, if you, if you can have this cup pass from me, but he's, and, and, and he says, but not my will, but your will be done. And he's talking about the suffering that's about to come. Now, the disciples aren't going to suffer for redemption. Their, their suffering, their, their experience of suffering is not going to be in, redeeming in any way. And by the way, some liberal scholars who don't want to believe the historicity or the accuracy of Scripture will often point to the fact that here it talks about a cup and in the account in Luke, this same account in Luke, it talks about a baptism. And these liberal scholars will say, oh, see here, there's no way Jesus talked about a cup and about baptism at this point. Those are clearly symbols that became important to Christianity after the resurrection of you know, the communion cup and baptism. So clearly here, this is just the, uh, the, the, the disciples, as they write this 
false gospel, this gospel that's not quite accurate. They're, they're putting these elements in these, these words into Jesus' mouth. He didn't say this. Well, the answer to that would be, well, that doesn't quite make sense because if they're really trying to establish this great religion, then why would you make two of the most important leaders in this new religion look like absolute fools? <laughs> doesn't make any sense. And as Tim Keller says, it's one of the very evidences that our, new, that our gospels are accurate. Because again, if they were just made up in order to start this new religion, you wouldn't make the leaders of the new religion, Peter, James, and John, look like guys who didn't get it constantly, <laughs> who were always messing up. Tim Keller would say, there's only one answer. This is actual history. This is actually what happened. So he says to disciples, uh, to James and John in particular, are you ready to receive this cup? Are you ready to deal with this suffering? Now, to their credit, they're like, okay, yeah, we are. Now, I don't think they had a clue what that was. And Jesus says, well, you will. You will experience that suffering. He's already told them that. Whoever would follow me must come after, take up his cross and follow me. He says, you're, you're going to. It's going it's to happen. And then he says something interesting. Jesus says, but as far as the positions in the kingdom, that's not mine to say. It's not yours to say. It's only what my father has prepared. It's very important for us. It, it goes back to what Barton said last week. We don't earn our place in the kingdom. And that's a blessing. Jesus is saying, you don't, verse, verse 23, you're not going to uh, earn, uh, excuse me, verse um, 23, yeah. You're not going to earn your place at the kingdom. It's given to us by the Father. Whatever position you and I have in the kingdom, whether it's right now or when we go to heaven, it's something that is given to us. It's going to be way better than we ever imagined it to be. Um, but we don't earn it. And you don't manipulate for it. It's something that is, is freely given. And then Jesus goes on. So he's responded to his disciples. Excuse me, he responded to James and John. And then he goes on in verse 28. And he makes it very clear. He explains this mission. He explains this idea of being the suffering servant. And he says three things in verse 28 that are very important for us to camp out on for just a little bit. This verse here and in Mark and in Luke is key for us understanding our Bibles, for us understanding the gospel, for us understanding Jesus, for us understanding the kingdom of God, for us understanding our personal mission here on earth and what it is we're supposed to be about. Jesus says this, first of all, the son of man, and that's referring to Jesus as the one who is incarnate, as the one who took on flesh, fully God and yet fully man, the Son of Man, first of all, came not to be served. It was 13 years ago this month at a uh, Sunday morning worship service back in 2008 uh, where Sandy Wilson asked our congregation this, and I'm going to ask you this as well. He said, I'm going I'm I'm to give you three uh, words or three phrases, and I just want you in your own mind to think uh, what comes to mind as, as I say these three phrases, okay? So you all ready? First one is this, a limousine ride, a limousine ride. Second one is a maid cleaning the house. All right, third one is breakfast in bed. 
Okay, you got that? So limousine ride, a maid cleaning the house, breakfast in bed. And you think about what comes to mind. Now, my guess is for most of us in here or most people in East Memphis, what came to mind when I said limousine ride was us sitting in the back of the limousine, right? We didn't think about, when, it, when I said limousine ride, you didn't think you're the guy with the hat driving. <laughs> For most of us, I, my bet is we thought about ourselves as the guy in the back of the limousine. When I said a maid cleaning the house, I think most of us here in East Memphis thought about someone else cleaning our house, <laughs> We didn't think of ourselves as the one doing the cleaning. And when I said breakfast in bed, now some of you are just awesome husbands. And so maybe you thought, I'm bringing my wife breakfast in bed. But a lot of us probably thought, somebody's bringing me breakfast in bed. (laughs) That's what we thought. It is our tendency, isn't it, to think about being served it is, our, it is our general default when I say that, and I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I, I remember when Sandy said that, and he tricked me. I'm like, yes, you're right. I thought about being in the back of the limousine, and the maid cleaning my house, and somebody bringing me breakfast in bed. I see myself as being served. Jesus says, I didn't come here, though I am the second person of the Trinity, God incarnate. I deserve to be worshipped wherever I show up. But I didn't come here for that. I came to walk among you, not to be served. Not to be served. And then he goes on, but I came here to serve. What does it mean to serve? It means that Jesus and ultimately the triune God looking from heaven, looked down on us and said, what is it that they need? What is it that these whom I have created need? They need to be saved. They need a salvation. They need a substitutionary atonement. What, how can I provide what they need? And in the eternal Godhead, knowing that there had to be a substitutionary atonement that had to be made by someone who was like us, Jesus says in response to the Father, I'll go and I will take on flesh. And actually, we know from Revelation that when Jesus took on human, when he became the incarnate son, it was forever. Let's not lose sight of that. He didn't just take on that for those 33 years he was here. But when we see him in heaven in Revelation, John writes, and then I saw before the throne a lamb looking as if he had been slain. In other words, the scars were still there. And so Jesus looking at us came to serve. By serving, he sought to figure out what it is that we, that we needed and attended to us. And then he says, and to give my life as a ransom for many. Brothers, that phrase is so key. So absolutely key. 
I want us to turn now in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53 and let us soak up for a moment what the disciples didn't quite get in that moment. Isaiah 53, and Jesus, when Jesus says this, give my life as a ransom for many, Jesus was, was putting on notice, I'm the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. I mean, these, these words, give my life as a ransom for many, to, a, to someone who was thinking would have thought of Isaiah 53 because that's what Jesus was thinking about. Look what it says in verse one. Who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. What does that mean? It means that Jesus just looked like an average dude. These pictures of Jesus looking like he's, you know, an IMG model walking out of, you know, at the Met Gala in New York. Like that's not Jesus. You wouldn't have noticed him. Because Jesus didn't, he looked like a very average guy. Verse verse three, he was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. And here it is, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is exactly when Jesus said, I am here to give my life as a ransom for many. He was saying, I am the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. He was was using that exact picture there for us. And so he says to his disciples, this is why I came. I came not to be served, though I deserve it, but to serve, to attend to the needs of humanity. And here's how I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna give my life in your place. Now notice Before we leave this, verse 25 and 26. Notice that Jesus had called them and says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, the great ones exercise authority. You know that to be great in this world means you have authority over others. You know that to be great in this world means that you're served. And that's how, if your worldview is like that, that's what you attain. That's what you go after, right? You're going after a position where you're going to manage more people and more people are going to serve you, where you're going to be greater, more respected, where people are going to understand how smart and successful you are. That's a pursuit that we have. He says, though, Jesus says in verse 26, it shall not be so among you. In the kingdom of God, you shall not seek to gain positions of authority. But instead, and look what he says in verse 28, even as, or in some translations it says, just as. He's saying to his disciples, this is my mission and, and followers of Jesus, these 12 men, this is your mission. Your mission is not to be served, but to serve and to give your life 
not as a ransom, not as a substitutionary atonement. But brothers, we're supposed to be those, what, what a reflection of a followers of Jesus is those who actually figure out how in the world it is that we can serve, that we can give our lives away. I'm gonna give you another place where this gets real practical, particularly for those of us who uh, are married. For the longest time, that passage in Ephesians 5 where it talks about, you know, wives need to respect their husbands. And then it says, uh, husbands need to love your wives as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her. For the longest time in my marriage, guys, I knew what that meant. I'm supposed to make sacrifices for Lynn. I knew that. And this is how I thought it was supposed to happen. I'm, when, when a sacrifice arises that needs to be made, I need to raise my hand. So when a sacrifice arises in our marriage, then what I need to do is step up and be the guy that sacrifices. It was about 10 years ago, I realized that's not exactly how Jesus did it. <laughs> Jesus actually figured out what we needed and initiated towards us before we ever asked for it. So Todd, to live this out in your marriage, you need to become a student of Lynn and you need to figure out where things need to happen. How can you serve her? How can you lay down your life for her? Don't wait for her to ask you or to mention or somebody else to notice and you're like, oh yeah, I probably should do that. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's not what Jesus did. Jesus looked at us figured out what our need was and served us. If I'm going to live that out of my marriage, I'm going, to, I'm going to become a student of Lynn. I'm going to anticipate and know her needs. And I am going to figure out how to lay down my life for her before she ever asks for it. That's what it means. Practical application of this mission. Servant explained. And then lastly, notice in verses 29 and 34, the servant demonstrated. It would be easy because if you, if you look, and maybe some of you, for me, I have to turn the page, but you'll notice that the next chapter that we're going to look at next week is the triumphal entry, you know, the Palm Sunday moment, right? And it would be easy to, to think, okay, wait a second, why did, why did Matthew do this, right? We, we have this request, Jesus ends it with, Verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to serve, be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. Wouldn't it be great then to just go from there right into chapter 21 and, and, and the, the moment of his triumphal entry on a, on a donkey and all. Wouldn't, that just seems like fitting. So what's going on here? Why, why these verses in between about these two blind men? Actually, this is key for us. It's a, it's a hinge that's perfect for us. Not only did Jesus know exactly what he's doing, but Matthew knows exactly what he's recording here. And what he's showing us here is this servant, this suffering servant demonstrating this even as he's on his way to the cross. You see, the gospel always has practical applications, right? It's not just theoretical. It's, I mean, it's always not theoretical. It's not just spiritual. It's not just in our head and our hearts. It's not just something that's in, internal. 
right? You can't, you can't be a follower of Jesus and keep it to yourself. You can't, you can't just, yeah, I, I just want to be all about the gospel and not have any gospel application. And, and what Jesus is doing here is he's showing the application. He's demonstrating this. He's living it out on his way to Jerusalem. How does that happen? Think about the context here. They're, they're moving out of Jericho and they're headed, towards, uh, they're headed towards Jerusalem. And as they head out, there's crowds following them and they're all going up for the Passover. Right? That's, it's, it's a big feast. But they're, they get, they're landed in a cool place. They're with this Jesus guy who's been healing people. I mean, this guy is, is amazing. We're going to be in his entourage as we head to the Passover for Jerusalem. So these crowds are going out with Jesus and, and, and he's this, he's at least a very interesting character if it's not a popular character. And, and everybody's like, wow, I just want to be around in case this guy does something as he heads to Jerusalem. The disciples are thinking, we're headed, we're headed to take over. We're headed to the thrones. That's where we're going. And then what happens? These blind men sitting by the side of the road try to stop the parade. Jesus, son of David, and you'll notice the connection here because son of David is what Jesus is called in Matthew 21 at the triumphal entry. But the first people to say this are two blind men by the side of the road. Son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd and the disciples are probably, ah, come on, no, shut up. We're going, like, this is, you are not important for the mission, (laughs) We are headed to Jerusalem and Jesus is on a mission and you are inconsequential. The crowds are, are, they're important. Be quiet. And they yell all the louder. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And Jesus, what does he do? What does the suffering servant do? First of all, he hears the men. He hears them. Being a servant means to hear, it means to listen. Jesus hears them. Secondly, he stops. It would have been hard to stop, honestly. Not because you didn't want to, but because the crowd was just moving. And Jesus would have probably had to bump into some people as they were moving and wonder what he's doing as he goes over to the side of the road. He's, he's on his way to the mission. He is on his way to redeem all, uh, to all of, of, of those whom God has given him in humanity. He is headed to a cross. He is, and he's going to stop because these two blind beggars yell his name. Yes, because he's the suffering servant. Stops. He finds out their need. What do you need? What do you need me to do for you? And then it says, as they say, we want to see, it says that Jesus opened their eyes. One scholar, R.T. France, points out that the word that Matthew uses here for eyes is an unusual word. It's actually a word that is more poetic in nature and in other places, in other literature, often refers to the soul. I think Matthew was intent on this <laughs> because while he did, while Jesus did open their physical eyes, it's clear that he opened their spiritual 
eyes, the eyes of their heart, because it says that they followed him. (laughs) But Jesus met their physical needs. He served them, meeting their physical. The demonstration of the gospel brothers involves meeting people's physical needs. When people say to me, well, you know, we just need to be all about the gospel. Don't talk about caring for this, that, and the other. Well, I don't know how to separate those from in scripture. I just don't. You know, if there's Don Riley demonstrating this right now, if there's, if there's actual needs of hurting people down there, Don Riley isn't doing something that's, you know, it's not social justice what Don Riley's doing and those men. They're living out the gospel. There's a need. Don Riley sees the need. He loves Jesus. Don Riley wants to be a follower of Jesus and be a servant. And he's going to go down there. He's going to help them. And you know what Riley and those guys are going to do? They're not going to go down there and be like, brothers, we'd like to pray with you. We'd like to share some verses with you. We'd like to tell you that God is going to take care of you and it's going to be okay. Nope, I'm pretty sure they went down there with some chainsaws, some hammers. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they went down there with some supplies. I'm pretty sure they went down there to demonstrate the gospel by serving them. Certainly, I bet Don will pray with them. I bet he will share scripture with them. I bet he will encourage them in the Lord. And I bet he's gonna, I bet he's gonna cut some things down and build some things up, with some chainsaws and hammers. And all of that, will demonstrate the gospel. Will demonstrate following this suffering servant. Brothers, has Christ opened your eyes? Just like these men, has Christ opened your eyes to see that Jesus is the suffering servant who gave his life as a ransom for you? That a lot of you in here, maybe all of you would say, yes. Yes, Jesus has opened my eyes. There was a moment where I was blind and Jesus opened my eyes to understand that he was the suffering servant who was gonna give his life for me. Are we following him? Are we following him? We say we're followers of Jesus, brothers. Are we following him. If so, if so, then today, 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 when we walk out of here, let us be men who live not to be served, but to serve and to give our lives away. And the Holy Spirit will show you what that'll look like and The Holy Spirit will give you the power to do it. And don't forget, you are dearly loved sons of God. Even before you step out that door. And as dearly loved sons, you've actually been blessed with that mission. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the beauty and the truth and the power of your word Father, we know that we are blessed to have Bibles in front of us and even have this time and this comfortable space 
to study your word. We also know that we would never know these things unless the Holy Spirit revealed them to us. And so, Holy Spirit, please, wherever it is that you need to work these things into our hearts, Holy Spirit, would you please do that? Work these things into our hearts. And then, Father, work these things into our feet and our hands, in our mouths, in our relationships. May we be those who not only have truly been changed by the suffering servant, but may we be those who follow with our whole lives this suffering servant. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks, brothers.